As time passes, things go obsolete. They're no longer relevant. They don't work. In this series, Pastor Fred Price Jr. reminds us that even in this modern age, faith still works. Let's jump in. But specifically faith, faith being the number one thing. Uh, he has a book entitled Five Little Foxes of Faith. And uh, some of the things that he deals with, unforgiveness a snare for our faith. I mentioned this on the Thursday night Bible study. You know, we can recite Mark 11, 23 and 24 very well. You know, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll, you shall have them. But, uh, you know, sometimes we stop at verse 24 and we don't go on to verse 25 and verse 26, which says, and whenever you stand praying, whenever you're in prayer, a sum, of, a sum up of it would be when you're in prayer, make sure that there's no unforgiveness in your heart. Make sure you've cleaned all that out. Because if you can't forgive your brother of his trespasses, I can't forgive you. That's what Jesus says. So unforgiveness in our heart will prevent petitions from being answered. Worry, the sin of not trusting God. How many of you know that worry is a sin? Do you hear what I'm saying? Worry is a sin. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 25, he says, do not worry about your life. He says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about the things that you need. Your heavenly Father knows that you need those things. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and, all these, and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Fear. We know God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Oftentimes, Jesus would say, do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The battle for the mind. The mind is the battlefield. You know, Paul says, uh, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And he says, put on the whole armor of God. Has there any, anyone ever come across a verse where Paul tells us to take the armor off? When the armor is put on, it stays on. And so when we're armed with the Word of God and those thoughts come from the devil that oppose the Word of God, we know how to deal with those thoughts. And then losing hope. The Bible says, now faith is the substance of things what? Hope for the evidence of things not seen. You don't want to lose your hope. Hope is that goal setter. We, gotta have, a, we have to have a goal in life, some, something that we set, and hope is that goal setter. Faith will, will cause that hope to come to pass. But we got to have that goal setter so we don't want to lose hope. So he deals with, this, with these things in this book, uh, and uh, it's a very informative book. It'll be a blessing to you. Normally it's $6. Um, we're going to cut that in half. It's going to be $3, so you can uh, you know, buy them up if you already have some. Buy some for your, for your loved ones, anyone that you know that it'll be a blessing for. Of course, I need to get this out of my hand so I can uh, get on with the word. I would, I would like to, uh, I'd like to give it to a, a visitor. That, that young man is a visitor? Yeah? Okay. How old are you? 20. All right, you read this book, you can be a spiritual giant. Twenty, 20 years old, I wasn't I thinking about reading my own daddy's books. 
So uh, I like to see young, I like to, I'm sorry, I like to see young people. When I, when I look at one younger than me, and, and, I, and, I, and I can see that they're ahead of me, that's how it should be. That's how it should be. Whatever I'm doing now at 27, they should be doing it at 17, as far as I'm concerned. And when I see that, that's exciting. All right, well, we're going to uh, get right into the Word of God. So uh, turn to your Bibles. Two locations, Hebrews 11.6 and Romans 8.8. 8. Hebrews 11.6 and Romans 8.8. 8. Now, uh, I've been studying a particular subject. The Lord has led me to teach it uh, back home, and I, and I feel the leading to teach it here. And uh, it's dealing with a subject that I, I just mentioned, which is faith. And of course, uh, Dr. Price is the godfather of faith the master teacher of faith. And uh, years ago he taught us how faith works. The Spirit has led me to teach faith still works. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very important to the believer. Uh, it was important to that generation. It's important to, to my generation. We need to understand faith and the importance of faith and uh, what it is to the believer. We need to understand, uh, well, we're about, to, we're about to read it in Hebrews eleven six exactly how important it is. So, if you're at Hebrews 11.6 and Romans 8.8, 8, say amen. amen. We're going to look at verse 6 first. Hebrews 11.6, let us read together, ready, read. But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I really, really enjoy something about this verse. And that is that after we're told that without faith it's impossible to please Him, when we're told that He who comes to God, we're, we're, let me show you what it does not say. It does not say without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Before I believe that He is a rewarder, I must first believe that He is. What does the verse say? Must believe that He is. You can put a period right there. God is. The God that said, I am that I am, God is. So I first must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who, what? Diligently seek Him. Now, let's just read up to the, to the first comma. It says, uh, without faith it's impossible to please Him. Let's all read that part, just that part together, ready, read. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Again, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. One more time. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Congregation, can we all agree that the Him being referred to in this scripture is God? Okay, now let us read that up to that same point, but instead of Him, let's say God. Ready, read. But without faith, it is impossible to please God again. But without faith, it is impossible to please God one last time. But without faith, 
It is impossible to please God. The verse specifically tells me that if I am interested, if I am anywhere in the area of pleasing God, faith must be there. The verse says that without it, it is what? Impossible. Look at Romans 8.8 8 now. Because what we want to do is we want to establish what kind of principle faith is. Are we dealing with something physical or something spiritual? Now Hebrews 11.6 said, without faith it is impossible to please God. Are you at Romans 8.8? 8, 8? Let us read together, ready, read. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Very interesting. What does Hebrews 11.6 say? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Romans 8.8 8 says what? Those in the flesh can not please God. So if those in the flesh cannot please God, and without faith it is impossible to please God, then when I'm in faith, I'm not in the flesh. Because the scripture just said, if I'm in the flesh, I can't please Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So those in the flesh can't, those in faith can. So what are we dealing with here? We're dealing with something spiritual here. Now Romans 3.27 confirms that faith is a law. So we're dealing with a spiritual law here. And how many of you know that laws can be broken? Laws can be violated, and if you violate a law, there will be consequences to pay. Jump off the roof of a building. What happens? Well, there's a law called gravity. Violate the law. It's not that gravity's mad at you, but you violated the law. So there's, there's, there's a law of faith, and if I violate the law, certain things won't, won't come to pass, won't occur in my life, because I, I didn't do things according to law. We're dealing with the spiritual law here. Now, we know that faith is important. Why is faith is important? Because the Bible says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. The Bible says in Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. The declared righteous live by faith. How often do I live? All the time. So if I'm alive or if I live all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and the just live by faith, then faith must be of, of great importance. Now, how does faith come? We know how faith comes. What does Romans 10, 17 say? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. However, look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Because yes, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. But a lot of people hear the word all the time. Do they not? But we only see change in some. And not all. And why is that? Hebrews 4.2. If you have it, say I have it. Yes. Hebrews 4.2 says this. It says, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. So it's not that the gospel hasn't been preached. It's been preached. But watch this. It says, but the word which they heard, it did not profit them. Well, how come the word did not profit them? Because look what the beginning part says. It says, indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. 
The gospel was preached to us. The gospel was preached to them. The gospel profited us, but it did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Not being mixed in faith with those who heard it. You mix what you hear with what? With faith. So you're hearing it, but it's, but it's not doing you any good. It's not profiting you. Not being mixed with faith. So we see it's important. Vital to the believer. We live by it. We walk by it. It's a law. We know how to receive it. But what is faith? What is faith actually? Is faith just belief? You hear people say, make the statement, you know, what is your faith? Some people's faith is Islam. That's their faith. Judaism is their faith. For some, Christianity is their faith. You know, Paul even talks about it. He says, I fought the good fight of faith. Or he says, I kept the faith. You know, he's not talking about the definition where we're about to discuss in a second, but he's talking about the faith, Christianity. I've kept it intact. I've kept the faith. But what is Bible faith? If you look up the word faith in the concordance, you'll get a definition. 4102, pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. And it's the same as belief if you go by the concordance. But actually, it's the verb tense, and we know that a verb denotes action. So now, faith is not the same as belief. As Dr. Price says, it's, it's, it's uh, two sides of the same coin, two, two, two different things. Believing is one thing, faith is something else. When we go to the gospel and we look at the life of Jesus, then we get an accurate definition of what Bible faith is. The faith that I'm to live by, the faith that I'm to walk by, that, that prayer of faith, Jesus gives us an accurate definition of what that is. And when we look at the definition that Jesus gives us, and we apply that to our lives, then that's when the change is going to begin. And that's when the change will take place. So we're going to look at a few examples. And here's what I want you to pay attention to. I want you to pay attention to those that come into contact with Jesus. Look at their demeanor, the way they carry themselves, the way they approach Him, what they expect from Him. Turn to Matthew. All right, Matthew chapter 8, we're going to look at the first verse. I, I understand why God has given my father the, this assignment to teach on this subject, and I understand why he gets so excited when he studies it and when he teaches it. Because we're going to see some things. See, if you come to the table with the attitude that if he did it for them, he can do it for me, then you'll receive. See, if you have that attitude about, if a guy's not a respecter of persons, so I'm going to read about some people that came into contact with Jesus, that came into contact with the Word. They came into contact with the Word, and their life was changed. If I approach the Word like they approach the Word, there's going to be change in my life. Because God's not a respecter of persons. And then God can't lie. So if God said He's not a respecter of persons, He's telling the truth because He said He can't lie. He said it's impossible. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, are you there? Yes. Watch. 
learn. When he, verse 1, Jesus had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him. A leper came and worshipped him. The leper came and worshipped him, saying something. Now I want you to look at what the leper said and the way the leper said it. The leper says this, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The leper says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The leper came to the table already with the confidence knowing that he's able. He says, Lord, this is not about ability. I already know you can do this. If you're willing, you can. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. See, that's why it's important to understand and know God's will and his ability. Because when you know his will and you know his ability, then there's no if you're willing. Now, the leper wasn't quite sure yet, so watch this. And then, but see, the leper shows us something. The leper decides to take God at his word because he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him saying, I'm willing. Oh, there it is. Now I know he's willing. I already know he's able. Now I know he's willing. Jesus says what? I am willing, be cleansed immediately. His leprosy was cleansed. How come we don't see the immediately today? Or all the time, should I say. We don't see it enough. We don't see the immediately enough because immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Why? Because at the point in his life, he's like, look, I got leprosy. This is a horrible disease. I ain't got nothing else to lose. Now, I done heard about this man. He done raised people from the dead, blind eyes open, deaf ears open. Reporting had gone all throughout the land. Let me go see if this dude is for real. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I'm willing. Be cleansed. Leprosy cleansed immediately. Then Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, I want you to, to remember, if it, if it takes you writing it in your notes or highlighting, remember verse 4 right here. Because once he was cleansed, where did Jesus tell him to go? He said, go see the priest. Why? Well, because when one had leprosy, he was ostracized from society. So when he was cleansed, he would have to go see the priest so the priest could check him, make sure he's cleansed, and place him back in society. So because he was cleansed, it was customary, it was law for him to go see the priest. Jesus understood that. He tells him, go show yourself to the priest. Now, verse 5 says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, what we're going to do when we look at these accounts, we're going to look at these accounts not just in one location. We see here the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, but it would be an injustice if we didn't also look at it in Luke. See, remember now it's the gospel according to. All right, this is what Matthew recorded. 
This is what Mark recorded. This is what Luke recorded. This is what John recorded. I can't just focus on one. Yes, they're writing to a different audience, but under this new covenant, I can look at all four and benefit. All right, so Matthew chapter 8, what I want you to do is leave your finger on Matthew chapter 8 and also go to Luke. Luke 7. Just keep your finger on Luke 7 and then go back and look at, at Matthew chapter 8. Keep your finger on Luke 7, and let's continue on with Matthew 8. Matthew 8, 5. Now it says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. He says, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes into another, come. And he comes into my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard what he said, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Ah, oh, now this is good. This is good. But go to Luke 7. There's like 40,000 nuggets of, of information in, in, in this one account. 40,000. We'll just look at three or four. Luke 7. It says, now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he answered Capernaum. Okay, sounds like we're reading the same thing. It says, and a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. Sounds familiar. Sounds like what we read in Matthew 8, correct? It says, so when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. It says, and when they came to Jesus. But wait a minute, I thought Matthew 8 said that Jesus talked one-on-one -on -one with the centurion. Isn't that how it looked in Matthew 8? Like Jesus was talking to the centurion, but right here, it says that the centurion sent servants. Well, now, wait a minute. Now, what? Is this a mistake here? Well, let's keep reading. It says, so when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. Watch this. He loves our nation. He built us a church, a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends. Wait a minute now. In Matthew, I thought Jesus was talking to the centurion. Now, we see he sent servants, and then when he gets close to the house, he sends friends. Sent friends from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. 
When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that follow him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. All right, we just looked at Matthew's account of this. We just looked at Luke's account of this. What do we have here? Well, if you're willing to receive, you're going to see something life-changing. First off, we see that confidence thing again, like the leper had. The leper was fully convinced that, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The centurion apparently has that same confidence and says, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Just speak a word and he will be healed. Well, now, Centurion, why are you so confident? Why are you so convinced that all he has to do is speak a word and your servant will be healed? And then what did Jesus call that? Jesus said that it was great faith. As a matter of fact, he said, I haven't even found this in Israel. Now, why is he marveling at this? Because Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus was sent to Israel, and now he's finding greater faith outside of Israel. He's finding greater faith outside of Israel, and then we see the centurion understands something. He understands a concept. What is that concept? He understands authority. Remember, he says, I also am a man under authority. But what makes the faith so great? Do the stories line up or do they disagree? No, they line up. Understand that each gospel, one gospel, but each one was written to a different audience. So that audience that reads Matthew understands what Matthew was saying down to the T. The audience that Mark was written to understands exactly what Mark is saying. The audience that Luke was writing to understands exactly what Luke is saying. The audience that John was writing to is understanding exactly what John, I mean, what, what John is saying. Now, according to Luke, servants and friends came to Jesus. The centurion stayed under the house. But when we look at Matthew, it looks like the centurion came. But let me, let me tell you exactly what we're reading. Matthew and Luke are no different. It's just that the man understood authority so much, he knew that he could send his servants. The man understood authority so much, he knew that he could send his friends. So when we're reading Matthew 8, and it looks like Jesus is talking to the centurion, he's not talking to the centurion. He's talking to the servants. But see, a servant speaks on behalf of, the servant has a legal right to speak in the first person. So when, that's, when it looks like the centurion is speaking, that's not the centurion speaking, that's the servant speaking as if he was the centurion. But he could do that because he was under authority. Jesus recognizes authority. He says, my God, this centurion, this Roman soldier, he's not even in Israel. I came for Israel. I didn't come for the Roman soldier. Not yet. I first came to Israel. But this man outside of Israel understands authority and understands faith. My God, I haven't found such great faith. Not even in Israel. And the scripture says that the servant was healed that very hour. So when the servants and the friends get back to the house, sick boy, he's okay. 
Where do we get an understanding of this? Where does the centurion get off coming to Jesus saying he will be healed? Where does this leper get off coming saying if you, if you can, if you're willing, you can, you can make me whole, you can cleanse me? Why do they have this assurance? This is how you approach the Word of God, fully convinced. Fully convinced. Just like the leper. Just like the soldier. Fully convinced. Fully, conv fully convinced means there's no doubt in the equation. There's no doubt in the environment. So when the Scripture says, by His stripes I'm healed, I'm fully convinced. So whatever report is opposite of what that says, I can't believe what they say. I just can't because I'm fully convinced in the report of the Lord. So I go to the Word fully convinced. So somebody might tell me I'm going to die, but God said I'm going to live, so I'm going to go with God because I'm fully convinced in His Word. The centurion, fully convinced. The leper, fully convinced. Stay in Matthew chapter 8. Look at verse 18. No, I'm sorry. Look at uh, verse 23. Matthew 8, 23. It says, now when he, Jesus, got into a boat, his disciples followed him. Here's what I like about Jesus. He practices what he preaches. It says, now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then it says, Jesus arose and rebuked the winds in the sea, and there was a great calm. Luke says he rebuked the winds and the raging of the water. Mark says he arose and rebuked the winds and said to the sea, Peace be still. What do we see here? We see an accurate definition of faith, that faith is not simply believing. Faith is acting on what you believe. There must be corresponding actions with what you believe. Otherwise, what you believe may be true, but it will not benefit you until you act on it. Very simple illustration. We all have a television. I like to use the television illustration because it makes perfect sense. We have a television. We have a remote control that comes with that television. Now, everything about the TV and the remote I can believe everything about the television and the remote, what I believe is true. I can believe that if I stand up and go and press the power button on the television, it's going to come on. I can believe that if I press the, 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 the channel changer up or the volume up, the channel will change. The volume will go up. The channel will change. The volume will go down. I can believe that I can sit on the couch and point the remote controller at the television and press the power button and it'll come on and I can believe that I can change the channel up, change the channel down, raise the volume up, raise the volume down, press the mute button and the television will mute. I can believe all of that and what I believe is true. But guess what? If you never act on that, the television stays off, you stay on the couch, nothing changes. <laughs> nothing changes. So what you believe is true, but if you never act on what you believe, then what you believe will not benefit you. What you believe will not change your circumstances. So what if the leper just believed that if the Lord was willing? What if the centurion just believed that if Jesus spoke a word? Nothing would change. What they believed would be true. It would be without a shadow of a doubt. Yep, my servant could be healed. He'd be healed if Jesus just speaks a word. But if he never acted on it, what would change? What do we see here? We see Jesus standing up, rebuking the winds in the sea, and there was a great calm. 
Now we're talking about Almighty God here. He should be able to think something into existence. Fix a situation with his mind. But notice that even Jesus follows the order of God. Jesus stood up, rebukes the winds in the sea. There's a great calm. The men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds in the sea obey him? Who could this be that the winds in the sea obey him? But notice what Jesus said when he stood up. He said, why are you afraid? In other words, Jesus basically said this, why did you wake me up from my nap? You could have fixed the situation yourselves. I mean, the least they could have done was let the man sleep. The Bible already says that God never sleeps nor slumbers. Jesus gets the opportunity to come into the earth realm and experience rest, and disciples won't even allow him some sleep. What does it say? Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? The disciples, being right with the Word of God, could have arose and rebuked the winds in the sea. But see, they were afraid, so Jesus shows them. Why are you fearful? He stands up. And no, notice when Jesus rebukes the wind in the sea, I mean, in his mind, he's like, when I do this, there's going to be a calm. Just like when the leper said, you know, you know if, if, if Jesus is willing, he's going to clean. He's going to cleanse me. I, I know it. Why do you know it? I just know it. Why do we know what we know? We know it by faith, but we, we just know it. We're just, for some reason, we're like Abraham. The Bible says that he was fully convinced. Yeah, I'm 100 years old, but God said I'm going to have a kid. So guess what? I'm going to have one. I'm going to have one. Why? Because God said it. See, when you understand covenant, you understand that, that one is bound by his word. So if you cut a covenant with Almighty God, whatever God says is coming to pass. So I can't look at time. Because God doesn't look at time. He doesn't even live in time. He lives in one now. The Bible says that, G, that, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but that's for our fleshly benefit. Because he has no yesterdays and he has no tomorrows. He ain't never went to bed. <laughs> Just always been up. That's God. All right, look at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 says, So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. It says, Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. It says, When Jesus saw their faith. Wait a minute, how do you do that? The Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. Well, what did he see exactly? He says, Saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. What did Jesus see? Ah, let's go to Mark. Uh, let's see, is it Mark or is it Luke? I'm sorry, I it's, it's Luke 5. Let's think of Mark 5. It's Luke No, it ain't Luke 5 either. Is it Luke 5, 17? It is Luke 5. 
Thank you, Pastor. Luke 5, 17, that's it, all right. Matthew 9 says Jesus saw their faith, all right? So what do we have here? Luke 5, 17, it says, it says, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a, then behold, men brought on a, bed, a bed a man who was paralyzed whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. It says, they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd. Stop right there. Now, here you are. You believe without a shadow of a doubt that there is a man on the inside that can heal this man. You roll up on a house, you can't get in. You can't get in. What do you do? Just turn around and you go home? But what if you're fully convinced that he can heal him? So what do they do? They say, <laughs> we can't get in through the door, <laughs> but we're going to get in. So it, 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 it says that they went up on the housetop and led him down with his bed through the tilling into the mist before Jesus when he saw their faith. Ah, I know what he saw now. Jesus saw some men that couldn't get in through the front door, get on the roof and lower the man down. Why? Because you can heal him. Touch him. Say something to him. Make him well. Because I know you can do it. You've done it for somebody else. Do it for him. He saw, what did he see? Some men lowering a man down from the roof. What's Jesus going to say? Are they crazy? He doesn't go with the crazy. He sees their faith. And what does it say? When he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man? Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, you're going to have some Pharisees and Sadducees in your life. And the devil's just placed them strategically in your life. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're, 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 they don't, they may not know they're being used by the devil or not. Some of them might actually know they're being used. But the Pharisees and Sadducees, they're, they're the haters. They define haterism. They, they, they say and do every, don't say what you're believing for around them. Because they're going to come at you with something else. I mean, they can't get into agreement with you. There's always a reason why you shouldn't believe for that. There's just always something with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the devil didn't, he didn't place them strategically in the church. To the doubters, they can't go with anything. They just, you know, you say you're believing for this, they tell you that's not possible, or that can't happen, or you shouldn't believe for that. That's what they do. And with the Word of God, they're always proven wrong. That's why you got to stay with the Word. Don't go with the Word of the Pharisees. Go with the Word of God. All right, so what do we see here? <clears throat> we see action. We see action. We see someone believing something and acting on what they believe. If they were to stay wherever they were at, I mean, you got to think about it. The men, the four men with the paralytic on the bed had to come from somewhere to get to the house. So what if they stayed wherever they were and believed? Well, yeah, what they believe is true. But the man on the bed gets no benefit if they don't act on what they believe, if they don't get up, come to the front door, realize they can't get in through the front, and get on the roof. If they didn't do that, if they didn't act on what they believe, there would be no change. 
Circumstances stay the same. And there are so many Christians, you hear it, you can, you can hear them when they speak. It's like they, they, they know what God's able to do, but God hasn't done anything for them. And it's not that he doesn't want to do anything for them, but they're not acting. You know, they're sitting and waiting. Like some people sit and wait for miracles. You can't do that. Now, I didn't say God's not a miracle-working God. He works miracles. But when it comes to miracles, the Scripture is specific as He wills. It's as He wills. See, He's given us the measure of faith, the measure of faith to be developed. We can approach the throne, in, the throne of grace on behalf of ourselves. We can petition God. Some people just sit, sitting and waiting, just waiting for God to perform a miracle. And that's not how it works. You got to be active. You got to be doing something. And if in the midst of your acting and your actions, God performs a miracle, great. That's even better. But you can't just sit there and wait for God to do something. You've got to do something. He's already sent his word. Everything that we need is right here at our disposal in the word of God. Every answer is in the word of God. All we have to do is act. All right, so we see now, we see, we see action. People acting on what they believe. <clears throat> Look at uh, um, Luke chapter 8. I want you to look at verse 21. When you have it, say, I have it. Just one verse. I just, I just, the word is just going to say what I just said. Luke 8, 21, are you there? It says, but he answered and said to them, what? He says, my mother and my brother are these who hear the word of God and what? Hear the word of God and what? Hear the word of God and what? He says, my brother and my mother... Let me tell you what kind of people these are. These are the ones that hear it and do it. So obviously hearing the word is important, but we can't stop at hearing. Because the scripture basically says, you know, when James, don't just be a, a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. These are the ones who hear the word of God and do it. Turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, look at verse 18. Here's another one. See, I follow, see, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go the way of the leper and the centurion. And I'm going to go the way of, of Jesus. And I'm going to go the way of the four men. I'm going to take their course of action with the situations in my life. So I'm going to approach the situations in my life the way they do. If God is not a respecter of persons, then I'm going to get their results. Now, how do I find out if God is a respecter of persons? Dr. Price says it best. He says, give God the opportunity to fail. Just give him a shot. Give him an opportunity to fail. You're going to find out that he won't. Give the word a chance to fail. Give God the opportunity to not be a God of his word. You've got to do the word. You've got to work the word. Look here. Look at Matthew 9, 18. This is insane. See, this is, this is how you know you get into faith. You start doing stuff that just makes no sense. 
I mean, that's just absolutely no sense, no logical sense. It makes plenty of spiritual sense, but no logical sense. Look here, Matthew 9, verse 18, it says, when he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshiped him, saying, now, now watch this, you, you, gotta, you have to look at this here. See, when you're reading the word, you have to add the emotion here. Because otherwise, you'll, you'll just read word. You, you have to place yourself in this situation. Try to just, God has given us an imagination. Just picture yourself then observing what's taking place. Now watch this. Verse 18 says, while he spoke, it says a ruler came and the first thing he did was worship him. Then right after he worshiped him, or it says worshiped him saying, my daughter's just died. Stop right there. That man's daughter died. I believe Luke says near the deathbed or on the deathbed. This is my daughter's just died. Now, now, how would you conduct yourself if your daughter just died? Because this man was worshiping God. He says, worship him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she'll live. Now, how does a man get to that point? How does a man get to a point to where your flesh of your flesh is laying on the deathbed? And you're at a point to where there's a man outside that you know if he lay his hand on your daughter that just died, she'll live. There was no guessing here. There was no wondering. He was convinced. I mean, can you imagine there's other people in the house? They're probably freaking out that the daughter's dead. And the ruler, by the name of J.R., he's like, y'all hold up one second. I'm going to go outside. No. <laughs> I mean, how do you just... He says, my daughter's just died. Come and lay your hand on her and she'll live. Jesus arose and followed him and so did his disciples. Now watch this. Let's just tell you how people see God can do, He can, God, He can multitask. You see, you see, He, he don't just focus on one petition. Now, Jesus, He's about His business, He's going to deal with the daughter. But verse, verse 20 says, And suddenly a woman who had a flow for, of blood for 12 years. Luke says that she had dealt with physicians, and the physicians, the doctors, are like, Sweetheart, there's nothing we can do for you. Now, I want to show you about where a person's faith is. This is where the woman's faith was. Oh, God, see, look at this. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well, and the woman was made well from that hour. Now, let's establish a couple things here. First off, what she believed was true. But what if she never did what she believed? Then she wouldn't be made well. But look at where her faith was. Her faith wasn't in even looking Jesus eye to eye. It wasn't even in him having to touch her or speak a word. She just said, If I could just touch his clothing, I'll be made well. Where is your faith? Is your faith in God enough? If I could just touch his clothes, I'll be all right. I'll be made well. Jesus said, well, the Bible says, she said, he said, a daughter, your faith has made you well. Woman was made well from that hour, and then Jesus comes into the house. 
Now he's coming to the house. He's coming to deal with the daughter. So that was his first, that was his first uh, task. While he's going to lay hands on the daughter, here comes a woman. She gets healed. Jesus is on a roll here. So he's, you know, he, he's feeling himself right now. So he walks into the house. He walks into the house, and, and, and the haters are like, you know, uh, um, what does it say? It says, when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, watch this. He said, make room for the girls in the dead. She's sleeping. And they ridiculed him. I said, I told you, Jesus practices what he preaches. So he comes in a room confident. She ain't dead. She's asleep. Everybody's like, no, she's dead. Jesus said, she's not dead. She's asleep. I'm going to wake her up in a second. Make room for the girl that's not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. You, do you see how ridiculous this is? You have to put yourself there. The girl is dead. Jesus just goes and grabs her hand, and she's up. You know, it wasn't anything. It wasn't no getting down on knees in front of her and, and, and doing some kind of seance or anything. He just walks in and just grabs her by the hand. See, that's, that's, that's like, you know, that's like uh, it was Peter, right, whose shadow was falling on people and they were getting healed. That's why you just walk in a room and people just, 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 just heal. People just raise it from the dead. He just walks in and just grabs her hand. Make room, the girl's not dead, but sleeping and they ridiculed him. When the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And here's the part that I like. It says a report went out across the land. See, Jesus would do some great feat and a word would get out. Just word spreading around about this guy. He's just doing these things. Some people are like, no, nah, that's the devil. He's casting out demons by, the, by, 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 by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. He's like, huh, kingdom divided can't stand, so you're wrong for that one. Then you have others. You have the hungry. They heard about the man. They said, if he can do it for them, he can do it for me. So that's why Jairus was able to go and say, my daughter's dead. If you lay your hands on her, she'll live. That's why the woman was like, I could just touch his clothing. Because I didn't heard about this leper that got cleansed and this centurion servant that got cleansed. The report goes into the land. People here, they get hungry. See, that's what happens when the word goes forth. The word goes forth and it goes across the land and people hear about the word and they get hungry. See, so you got people hungry for G I'm out of time. All right. So I'll see y'all next time. Thanks for listening. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 945 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 477th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.